Yeah, good to see everybody this morning. And remember last week we talked about how we wanted you to be able to experience love and encouragement. I hope, hope you remember that. And some of you that tuned in later on, I hope you got that message. Well, today's message kind of follows up with that because it talks about the process, how we can fully know and experience the love and grace and encouragement of God as we talk about discipleship. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So before we go uh, to the Lord uh, in this message, let us go to him in prayer, okay? Oh, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that as the scripture is read and proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you would say to us this day. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord as found in the good news according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I got an inspiration for this from watching a, a YouTube video of the evangelist and pastor Francis Chan. And he got me thinking, suppose I ask my daughter to go clean her room. And she says, I'm right on it, daddy-o. A day or two later, she comes back and says, I have been watching YouTube videos on how to clean a room. I've gotten manuals about the the importance of cleanliness. I've even got us a group together that we're going to study for 34 weeks using a material called how to clean rooms through learning how to clean rooms. (laughs) And get this, Dad, I've even learned to say cleaning rooms in Greek. (laughs) And you know what we're going to do? We're going to get us a group together and we're going to take a team to take cleaning supplies to Africa. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) And then I ask, yeah, that's all great, hon. But did you clean your room? (laughs) And you know, sometimes Jesus may look at us and say, well, go and make disciples. And we'll say, Lord, we started a church league basketball team. We got us a softball team. We've got a knitting group. We have started pickleball in the gymnasium. The senior pastor has got the courts lined out. And before we go and murder each other, we have a time of prayer. Lord, aren't you impressed with that? And God, yeah, of course, we've got Bible studies and we, we've got some, some groups that get together to discuss how we should uh, learn from those early disciples about how to go make disciples. And Jesus asked, yeah, but did you make disciples? Did you make disciples? Are you a disciple? See, in the scripture text for this morning, Jesus gathers those disciples after the resurrection in Galilee. And he gives them this clarion command, go and make disciples. Teach them what I have taught you. And as you do so, I will be with you. 
That call echoes down through the corridors of time to us in this day and time. Go and make disciples. We who claim to follow this Jesus, we who claim to be those who are descendants of those early disciples, we too are called to go and make disciples. The problem is in our great churches throughout this great nation, we've got caught up in so many church activities, right? I mean, we have so many wonderful things that go on. We have studies. We have groups. We, we do some things to attract people through sports and, and through interest activities. And these are all well and good. There's nothing wrong with them unless they keep us from focusing in on making disciples. And these activities are used to help people come into a relationship and a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ. Part of the problem is the way that we understand this process of learning. See, the word disciple in the Greek language means learner. It means learner, someone who learns. And when you think about learning, what do you think about? Sitting in a classroom like we all had to do for 12 years or more, sometimes listening to interesting lectures, lots of times listening to boring lectures so we could get all this information crammed into our peanut heads so we could regurgitate it on a test uh, six weeks later and pray that we would get a C plus, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. We, I love the bumper sticker. It says there's always going to be prayer in school as long as there are tests. And that is true. We're hoping and praying to get that C plus, right? To regurgitate that information that's crammed into our heads. And as Dr. Philip Maynard pointed out to us in a wonderful book that I hope we'll read sometime, Disciple Like Jesus, he said the issue is in Western civilization, we have been enamored with knowledge and with facts and we have done everything to uh, gain knowledge and gain facts, and we think that's what learning is all about. There's a lot to that. But what Jesus was talking about was a different way of understanding. It was a way of life. See, back in the first century in, in, in Jewish culture, the way someone learned was by getting with a rabbi, a teacher, and they would live life together so that the student would become like the teacher, not only by gaining knowledge, but by looking at a way of life and hoping to emulate that way of life. A great example of that, I, I know you all know about Elijah. You remember him? Yeah. He had a disciple named Elisha. Remember that? He got Elisha to come along beside him to learn the ways of being a prophet, to receive the Spirit of the Lord so that one day Elisha would be a prophet of the Lord himself. And see, what did Jesus do? He got him a group of guys, and he poured his life into them. They lived together for three years. He taught them. He showed them how to minister and to preach and to teach and to heal. He did this so that they would have a transformed life to be, as Jesus said, doers of the word and not just hearers only. For remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who hear and receive these words and act on them. See, discipleship is about having our lives transformed through a relationship. So what we're going to talk about some more is discipleship and relationship. In fact, 
Discipleship is all about relationship. In fact, say this with me. Discipleship is about relationship. Can you say that? Discipleship is about relationship. Okay, and go back to sleep now. That's what you gotta, that's what you gotta know. Discipleship is about relationship. First and foremost, it's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus did as he lived on this earth. He'd minister and work hard and, and go and heal. And then he'd spend time away with his father. We, we read about how time in Galilee, he sent the disciples off across the sea, the sea of Galilee. And he went and spent time with his father, right? To get nursed and recharged. Before he chose the 12 out of all those folks that were following after him to be those apostles, those disciples, he spent all night in prayer. We see throughout the, the gospel messages that that Jesus claimed God as his father, receiving the word of the father when he was baptized, calling out to the father when he was there in despair at the, sea, at the, at the garden of Gethsemane and praying even to the father while he's on the cross, father, forgive them. See, Jesus related to his father. He received his power from that relationship. And if we are gonna be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to claim discipleship, if we're going to say that we are Christians, we have to have this relationship first and foremost with Jesus Christ. A question that I ask of you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a a personal relationship where you can lean on him and talk to him and he talk to you? You may have been in church many years and done many things that are churchy, but you know Jesus in your heart, in your soul. Is he someone that you can talk to day by day and experience his life in your life? That's something that you don't know or not sure of. That's what we pastors are here for, Jeff and Vern, Laura, Patty, myself. If you want to Talk to us about what it means to be in relationship to Jesus Christ. Come, the door's open. There's no greater privilege for a pastor than to help someone be introduced to Jesus in order to be sure about that relationship. Some of y'all, and I've been there, are, are doubting right now, are having a hard time and struggling with that relationship. Come see us or find somebody you can talk to to help fortify that relationship. And I ask all of us, how is your relationship with Christ right now? Are you walking day by day with Jesus? Are you attuning to his word by reading the scriptures? Are are you praying? Are you following his direction for your life? Are you asking this question, Jesus, what would you have me do this day? The reason why I ask that question, the Barna Foundation, which does surveys of religious people, did a survey not too long ago, and it said this, found out this information. Guess how long the average Christian in the United States of America prays each day? Any, anybody, I mean, anybody want to hazard a guess? T- two hours, two minutes, 20, 22 minutes? <laughs> One minute a day is what the average Christian in the United States of America, according to George Barna, prays each day. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard to have a relationship with somebody if you only spend one minute a day with that person. How'd you like to breeze in and out with your spouse and just just have that? You got my one minute, hon. Here it is, right? What do you got to say? (laughs) 
It just doesn't work, does it? Is it any wonder if Barna is correct that the church has lost influence in our culture? Is it any wonder? How is it with your relationship with Jesus? Because that relationship compels us to be in relationship with others who claim him as their Lord and Savior as well. Note Jesus, when he sent out the disciples to go and minister, he didn't say, all right, Peter, you go over there, and James, you head over there, and John, you're going in that direction. No. What did he say? Go two by two that we have to go together. Paul, whenever he ministered throughout uh, the known world at at that time, he traveled with others, and he established churches where people would gather together to support each other and to love each other in the oftentimes difficult task of being a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple means to be in relationship with other Christians because we need one another. And we who are of the Methodist tradition should know this more than anybody else. John Wesley, when he started the Methodist societies all over uh, England, he began to realize that he couldn't tend to all of them. He couldn't see everybody. And he was scratching his head and praying, said, Lord, how in the world am I going to be able to help these people stay connected to you and to grow in their faith and their understanding? And he found a way out by accident. Isn't that funny how God does those things? You see, they built a huge meeting house in Bristol. I've happened to have been able to stand behind that pulpit and not preach, but just acted like I preached there one, one time. And it cost a lot of money. It's a beautiful building. And they're trying to figure out how to pay for it. So a member of the society, a man named Captain Foy, gave this proposal to Wes. He said, let's divide the society, which had over 1,000 members, into groups of 10. And each week, leaders from the society will go to these, these group members and knock on the door and collect a penny a person. And then here's what Captain Foy did. This is remarkable. And he said this, I will take the poorest groups. Meaning that he knew that some of those folks couldn't even afford a penny. And Captain Foy would pay their way. A sign of discipleship, by the way, generosity. Well, when they're out there collecting this money, they found out that folks would start to say, you know, um, I'm having this trouble, or can you pray for me about this? And they realized that these could be opportunities to support and love each other. So instead of the leaders going to them to collect the money, they invited the members to come and meet with the leaders. And it was at that point that John Wesley created what is now famous in, in Methodism and been copied by so many others around the world, the class meeting where eight to 10 folks would gather together and share life together, offer mutual support for one another, hold each other lovingly accountable as they walked this Christian journey so that they could live a transformed life. Well, we've got to do that too. And I'm happy to hear that that's going on in a lot of ways in this church. There's community groups and there's disciple Bible study and there's Sunday school classes. All these and other things that we hope to bring have to be there to help us live a life like Jesus where we 
are sacrificially loving for the world around us. And of course, Jesus says, go. Go out into all the world. Teach others about who I am and the way I live. And that means that we as followers of Christ have to find ways to be in authentic friendships with people in the world, particularly those who do not know Jesus. And you'll hear a lot more about that as we move ahead. But who do you know that needs a friend in the name of Jesus? I leave you with that question. Who is that? Think about that. Now, why is this so important in our day and time? Why is this so important that we focus in on authentic, transformative discipleship in our midst? Well, if you're reading the papers and looking at the news, you might have seen recently that George Gallup did a poll. And something came out of that poll that hadn't been news in the 80 years that he has taken polls. Remember what it said? It said less than 50% of Americans now attend a house of worship. I think it's 47% actually. And if you dig into the numbers even more, it's worse for folks like us because our ethnic minority friends are worshiping at a far greater rate than people of European descent. Our African-American friends, our Hispanic friends, others of ethnic descent are going to the houses of worship in far greater percentage numbers than folks like most of us. And when the question is asked of these folks that have given up on church or, don't go, or aren't going to church, here's what they say. They say, churchgoers are hypocritical, judgmental, and mean-spirited. And the numbers for younger people are even worse. Far fewer of them are coming uh, to the life of Christ through the church. They're, they're saying, oh yeah, we, we like Jesus. We just don't like his church. And where else can you discover Jesus best but in the church? And that is the fear of so many of us is that people are missing out in the world, in our society. Because what they perceive churchgoers to be like. We need to do all we can to change that narrative, to show that we love sacrificially each other and the world around us. Now, I've experienced a lot of that already in this church. I, I, there's a lot of hope here, y'all. But I know we can do more and do better. Yes, the world right now, more than ever, needs disciples who authentically live like Jesus. Again, reading the news, you, did you see how many people died of overdoses this, in 2020? 30% increase, 93,000 people in the United States. There's a need for hope that only we who are followers of Christ can offer. But why preach about this on my second Sunday. Well, I, I don't know how much time I have left in ministry. I mean, you know, I, I, there could be a banana peel right there and I slip on it and, that, and that, <laughs> that, that could be it. I, who knows how much longer I have, but I want to make sure that the time I have is spent on making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's part of my calling. 
When I was in the Air Force, I was sent on a long temporary duty uh, to South Korea. We lived in tents. Air Force folks didn't sign up for living in tents. It was cold. Air Force folks from the South didn't sign up for living in below zero temperatures. But we were there because that's what duty demanded. And and on our one weekend off, my tent mate and I, we went to Seoul, Korea, Seoul, South Korea, the big capital, 14 million people in it at the time. You go to the world's largest church, the 080 Full Gospel Church. At that time, it had 516,000 members. It's well over 2 million this day and time. We got there at a quarter to 11. Now, in churches around here, if you got there at quarter to 11, you could get the back row seat, right? The most prompt, best seat in the house, right? <laughs> but there was a line a block long at 1045 in the morning to go to the one o'clock service. But they had greeters out there in the parking lot and they saw that we were visitors and they said, you come, 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 come. And they grabbed us by the arm and they took us up to the balcony where places packed. And can you imagine this happening in some of the churches that you've been in because people have their assigned seat that, you know, that they've been sitting in forever. Can you, can you imagine that, that people got up out of their seats, sat on the floor and let us sit there? And I don't remember much about the sermon. And you probably won't remember much about this sermon, but remember discipleship equals relationship, okay? Remember that. But I do remember the power and presence of God there in that place. And I felt the Holy Spirit overwhelm me. And I'd been running from the call. And I said, yes. And afterwards, they gave a tour to visitors of, of this huge church. And throughout the building, there's these little mailboxes. You remember, remember mailboxes? They, they, they had little mailboxes all around. And this is the time before the internet or cell phones. And I asked, what are those things? He said, and there are thousands of them. I said, those are notes left by cell group leaders for their members. And I said, what's a cell group? Oh, every member of the church is a part of one. It's where folks gather together in their neighborhoods. A lot of them lived in apartments, in their apartment building. And they did this together. They prayed together. They held each other up and supported each other. And from that group, they went out and loved the neighborhood and community around them. I said, that's pretty cool. That's what I want to do back in America. Not realizing that's something that is a part of the DNA of the Methodist movement. Guess where Paul Young E. Cho got the idea? John Wesley. So as I come here as your pastor, believing, or one of your pastors, believing that God has led me here, we're going to work together to develop ways where we can gather together to love each other, pray for each other, go out in ministry and love the world. Have I failed at that? Yeah, you bet. I've been caught up too often in the busyness and activities of the church. But as long as I have breath, as long as y'all will let me, or some bishop somewhere will let me, maybe in Alaska, uh, I'm going to concentrate on this. Because two other things. One, one day I believe I'll stand before the great throne of judgment of Christ and he's going to ask me, Ed, did you do what I commanded? Oh, Lord, I had a great pickleball team. (laughs) 
I won evangelism awards. I got the ABCs of, of ministry down, attendance buildings and cash. I, I did well with all of that. Yeah, Ed, but did you make disciples? And I want with all my heart, with every minute I have left in doing this, to say yes. But there's another reason, a pastoral reason, because Jeff and Vern and Patty and Laura and I, we care for you and love you, and we want the best for all y'all. We want you to experience that love we talked about last week, the long, the high, the deep, the broad love of God, to know God himself, to be filled with joy and peace, no matter what's going on in your life. And the, the pathway to that is this road of relational discipleship where you are relating to God, living with God, living with others who follow Christ, and going out and authentically loving people in the world. And if you do that, you will experience the blessings that we long for you and I know you want for yourself. So, what's holding us back? Yeah, it's a little scary, maybe, thinking about really delving deep into this discipleship. It, it, it may change us. It may do something to us. But as we walk this pathway. We open up ourselves to incredible blessings of God's grace, which is new every morning. Blessings that sometimes may seem so faint because we're struggling hard in life. But do not fear doing the Lord's bidding. Because as you are in relationship with Him, with others, with those out in the world. You will transform the world. And that's what we are made for, isn't it? And it's as we walk this pathway, we can claim this promise that Jesus gave. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.